Greetings, dear listener, and welcome back to another new episode of Garmology. I'm Nick Johannesson, your host, and for those curious about the seasonal status here in suburban Norway, I can report that the mornings are now frosty, and the trees have taken on a definite autumnal colouring. For my part, at least, this means it's time to bring out the good garms and enjoy a brisk walk in the bracing weather. Good times ahead, eh? As previously mentioned, I have set up a Patreon now, so that uh, if you'd like to support the podcast, you can. Uh, I'll no doubt mention this every week, and you can find it at patreon.com slash gumology. And I'm pretty pleased to report that I have two new supporters this week, so greetings to Anne and Mark. Much appreciated. Supporting the podcast is entirely optional, and all the episodes are available and free for all to listen to. No gatekeeping here at Gomology. So, let's get on to uh, this week's episode. Off to Accrington in Lancashire. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Now, today we're heading off to the grand northern metropolis of Accrington, or Aki, as the locals call it. Ian, welcome. Would you like to tell me a bit about yourself? Um, hello. Yeah, my name's Ian Trickett. Um, I run the clothing brand Trickett England. We've been doing it for, it's coming up for over 10 years now, which is um, both impressive and very harrowing. Uh, we are primarily a sportswear uh, inspired brand, but we make in the UK, we make in Portugal, we make in Italy, and we make in America, which are places that I've worked with for many years, uh, developing great products uh, for what I hope are, is a, a good price so that people uh, of all pocket lengths can enjoy. Um, and like I said, it's just a, a, it's a passion project. We've been doing it for far too long, but I'm here. I'm still enjoying doing it. And talking about clothes is one of my favorite things to do in the entire world. So thank you very much for inviting me on. Now, I think you were on about three years ago. Since then, I think the company has grown massively, leaps and bounds. Uh, I think that's fair to say. Um, whilst I'm a bit, I have a bit of a gambling nature, um, so I saw what was about to happen with lockdowns and things like that. Um, I sort of saw that as an opportunity, and I went big. I thought, right, people aren't going to be going out shopping and various other things, so I had the opportunity here to make people interested, still have some physical, tactile uh, enjoyment out of life by posting things to them. And I thought, right, let's go. Everybody thought I was absolutely off my uh, rocker to decide to do that. But I thought, no, let's go big. So I started ordering a few extra T-shirts, a few extra bits and pieces and putting them in the shop. And I had more time to sit down and talk people through about what we were doing and how we were looking to achieve certain things. So, um, you know, a T-shirt that maybe once upon a time might have taken you know a couple of weeks to sell out was like, 20 minutes, gone. Uh, and that really is how things have developed quite drastically since that point. Um, I still think we make really great products. I still think we make a, uh, products for a really great price. And I think we're really great storytellers. But one of the best things that's happened recently, well, in the last three years, as you say, is that people have discovered us and they've discovered that we're doing things right. We're doing things the right way. We're communicating well. And hopefully we still feel like people's best kept secret. The last thing that I want to be is blasted all over everyone's chests and, you know, the next big thing or whatever. But as long as we can still maintain that 
core well they're still cool and they're your favorite band even though they've released three albums and people down the pub know who they are that's sort of the position that i want to be in i never want to be you know radiohead past the third album that's sort of where i want to be so i mean my okay computer phase that maybe maybe people will uh, maybe people will see who we are in the future but for right now i'm just yeah, happy making great stuff for people that really appreciate it and i get to do that every day from sunny lancashire and you know life's life's pretty good i'm very lucky and it's still you and your dad and the dog it is yeah um we we get some more help uh from various different people uh with with regards to players but it is literally just a very 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 small team uh in accrington doing everything we can to keep it as um close to the family as possible so yeah it's uh it's a very small enterprise to to put it bluntly yeah now accrington is clearly a very big part of who you are and what you do what sort of place is it um well if you know what if if i had my time over again i would probably describe myself uh, as a local historian um i've always been a keen uh follower and promoter of accrington i love the history of it uh, you know it's one of the hubs although it doesn't get the credit for it it is one of the hubs of the industrial revolution because through howard and buller manufacturing who made the uh, machines uh, for making short width uh, cloth for calico and various other things if it wasn't for them they wouldn't uh, there wouldn't have been places like cottonopolis in manchester they were, the burnley textile industry wouldn't have flourished the blackburn textile industry wouldn't have flourished and many other cotton uh, towns in and around the the lancashire northwest region wouldn't have flourished so accrington was a place that was very important up and you know up until um more recently but we'll get to that um it's a place full of history um it's a place where everything that is there has been earned and the people are very proud of being from accrington and it's it's always a thing that me and my uncle always say to each other we being from Accrington, are allowed to say that it's not that great. But if somebody else says it's not that great, we'll come after <laughs> you. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a very strange thing. There's a weird pride thing, I suppose, that we have. But modern Accrington is still a very proud bunch of people, hardworking people, still with a you know pretty recognisable football club, which is you know in this day and age for a time the size of Accrington is is unbelievable. Um, but it has its problems. Um, as with many places in the Northwest, but I'm just proud of, of what we're, we're looking to achieve. There's something that I'm hopefully going to be involved with as regards the redevelopment of the centre of Accrington, um, sorry, the Accrington Town Centre uh, plan called the Town Square. I'm hopefully going to be involved with that and actually seeing some practical change with creative people in Accrington because there are people here that um, want to change the way that it's perceived and the things that are there and hopefully retain some of the wonderful talented people that we that we have uh, both in Accrington and and local to it uh one of the things that i always found really weird uh in the time that i've been doing clothing is when you go anywhere uh whether that's people at stone island through to people working in clothes shops the further south you go the more northern they are the people that work in there so you know the one of the people that i know that's one, a shop manager uh, for Stone Island, he was literally born and raised in Burnley. There's a couple of fellas that I know that work for 
uh, very important sportswear companies that I'm not allowed to mention, uh, but they're on a slightly different continent to this one. Let's go with that. Um, one of them's from Accrington. Another one comes from uh, Blackburn. And obviously there's Gary Aston at Adidas, uh, who's Darwin born and bred. There's just something, I don't know what it is in the water as regards clothes and fashion and whether that's to do with football, whether that's to do with our uh, cultural heritage as regards uh, cloth or whatever. I, I, I can't answer that. I don't know. But the the northwest of, of England just seems to have these people that there's, there's better dressed people across the whole of the country, uh, you know, up in Aberdeen. For some reason, there's such a, uh, a weird attention to detail with clothing that I've never noticed anywhere else before. And like Newcastle has pockets of it and other parts of the north of England have pockets of it and, and Scotland and beyond. But for some reason, people that are shaping the industry, there's so many people from the northwest of England that I can't quite understand, but it's almost like we're we're drawn to it in a way. It's very strange. It's strange. Um, I know uh, the sort of football casuals were also pretty strong in the northern parts. Yeah. And I saw was it recently when CP Company had some sort of anniversary and they went yeah. up north and were doing stuff. Yeah, that was, that was with Gary Aspen um, from Adidas. He works quite closely with CP Company on a few projects and they brought, um, for, for no real reason, which for me was absolutely amazing, um, they brought the some pieces from the archive to display at Darwin Library, I think it might have been, or it might have been the old market hall. I can't quite, can't quite remember, but I know at um, Darwin Library, they had a talk, which I got invited to go and, and um, sit in and, and watch. And they had Lorenzo Oste, Paul Harvey, uh, Gary Aston, and I toy through. So like these guys are people that I were looking up to as, as a as a kid, and even somebody like I toy through who I wouldn't necessarily describe as a contemporary because he's a, I see him as a real artist and designer. But seeing people like that um, in Darwin talking about clothes. Um, I, I'm not sure if people grasped how important that was, but I'm a real clothing geek. Yeah. So the opportunity to see people like that in Darwin, like literally 20 minutes down the, in the, the public road, library, is amazing. <laughs> you know, that doesn't, I'm, I'm still sort of pinched myself a little bit that that even happened. And Gary doing as much as he does to represent the northwest of England, in particular, our tiny little pocket of East Lancashire. Um, you know, like it, if that doesn't instill a, a, a level of pride into you or maybe think, you know what, I'm from a, a northern town and I can't really, you know, I can't see how my career is going to develop. If Gary Aston bringing CP Company and the designers to Darwin Library doesn't make you think, you know what, yeah, I can do this then. I'm not really sure that there's ever going to be an inspirational moment for you, I don't think. So, yeah, thanks, Gary. You're a good guy. That was a strange one because they were flying in people from all over the world, I think. Amazing. You know, good for them. And if CP Company and places like Adidas can't back the vision of somebody, then I'm not really sure that anybody will. So, yeah, again, bringing, bringing something like that to, to Lancashire will forever be a a pinch moment like I, I was one of those people where they call me sad call me whatever but I was queuing up for my friend Christian if it makes you feel any better um for some trainers from the original Adidas collection for Special uh Oi because I sort of felt that there was this um this movement for it and Gary still creates like a really really great collection every so often uh for Special which again a massive conglomerate like Adidas making um, shoes specifically for a crowd of people that appreciate 
certain aesthetics from the footballing golden era of like the late seventies through to the mid nineties. Again, it's still a bit surreal, really. But and again, we there's so much content on the internet and there's so much stuff always going on that it's really difficult sometimes to take a step back because whilst those are brilliant moments in clothing history and certainly in my pocket of interest, there's been hundreds of things that have happened since then. You know, there's like Liam Gallagher shoes and like throwaway stuff like that. And like Gary again, making, uh, bringing the Adidas exhibition to um, an abandoned cinema in Blackburn. You know, the, all these things have happened since then. And you sort of forget about them, but I don't, again, because I'm a bit of a doic, but it really helped to put, make people realise that you can be from like Worcestershire, you could be from anywhere. It all depends on how much you pay back in the future. I'm, I'm a big believer in once you get over the wall, lower the bridge and let other people over it. That sort of, and, and Gary is the a fine example of that. And hopefully with the people that I work with and the things that I do, you know, I hope I, I do a similar job. I don't I don't know why this has turned into the Gary Aston fan club because he works for uh, Adidas and, you know, technically I'm not allowed to like him for that. But, you know, it's a great thing that he's, he's doing things like that. It's good for it. No, Adidas are kind of cancelled these days, aren't they, after the Kanye business? I'm going to go with no comment. That's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> that's a little easier for all of us, isn't it, to be fair? I mean, uh, what would... Uh... Middle-aged blokes uh, in pubs all over the northwest be wearing if uh, they couldn't wear Adidas. There's something nice about having a uniform. Sometimes something that you can sort of point and say, "Yeah, those guys get it," or whatever. The, the nuances within that escape me. I will be honest with you, but sometimes it's nice to have a recognisable uniform that you can high-five a guy in the corner and be like, "Yeah, we're the same." I think that's sometimes I think that's a nice thing. So, speaking of uniforms, what is the Ian Trickett uniform? Day to day, you know what? I, I, whenever I used to see interviews with fashion designers and stuff, I always thought they'd be sat there, you know, beautiful suits or completely over the top garb. But I was really young and I read a interview with Alexander McQueen, and he was apparently this journalist goes to meet him, and he sat in a cafe in East London, and he was wearing a white t-shirt, Ivisu jeans, and Air Force Ones, and I thought, wow. Alexander McQueen dresses like that. He's dressed like a normal bloke. What, what's all that about? And to be honest, I've experimented with loads of different clothes. Like I love tailoring. I love all kinds of stuff like that. But I would say my day-to-day uh, outfit is the Alexander McQueen. T- not, not Steve McQueen, Alexander McQueen. <laughs> of plain T-shirt, really, really far, far, far too expensive jeans. And either, depending on the weather, it's either boots or it's trainers. That's that. That's literally what I wear there today. Because, again, um, there was a, a chap called Ian who worked for a fantastic brand called E-Talks back in the day. And he said to me when I was doing some project with him, he said to me that the fashion industry is literally moving one box from one location to another location to dress appropriately. And I was like, what? You know, I didn't really quite understand it. But then when you get like 16 boxes of sweatshirts that all weigh like 30 kilos each, you're like, ah, yeah. So you can't be wearing beautiful suits. Like uh, one of my friends, um, Jake from Anglo-Italian, constantly wears a beautiful suit. And all of his colleagues wear absolutely beautiful suits every day. 
And like you see them ha- handling boxes, running up and down the stairs and stuff like that. And I don't know how they do it. They deserve a medal because I don't know how you can run around in fine tailoring. Like I understand if it's bespoke, it should fit you accordingly and you should be able to sort of jog up a mountain in it if you needed to. But yeah, the, the standard issue uniform for me is just T-shirt, jeans and boots and just keep it as comfortable as possible. And probably a mug of tea if I was going to make my action figure. That's probably what the... The additional accessory would be a laptop and a, a, cup, a mug of tea is probably what I would say. <laughs> it's interesting you said it was the Alexander McQueen outfit and not the Steve McQueen because the Steve yeah. McQueen would have been pretty much the same as well. Yeah, yeah, just slightly different jeans, I imagine. But yeah, maybe it's a McQueen thing. I don't know, but I've been, uh, you know, British designers have been a, a big influence, not from a an actual practical. This is what how I replicate what they design and stuff. But people like Vivian Westwood, um, Alexander McQueen, John Galliano, people like that sort of pave the way. And you can look at ways that people make beautiful clothes and how they market them and stuff. And these people were trailblazers and always will be in my eyes. So to even share a, a passport with those people is like a, a privilege, to be honest. I suppose. That McQueen outfit, if we can just call it that, has been very fashionable, either at certain points in time, quite frequently, or really just forever. Yeah. I mean, fashion today versus 10, 20, 30 years ago, where are we now? Where were we? You know what? It's a really interesting question because I look at things in decade periods. And I look at how, say, like we're in, you know, 2023, obviously, depending on when you're listening to this, hopefully you're listening to this in 500 years and you're like, what is he on about? But in, in, you know, in, in, say, the difference between 1973 and 1983, the, the silhouettes, the, the clothing, the way that things, are, you know, drape, quality of fabric and all that. It's the perception had completely changed, and whether that was a good thing through fashion and how disposable it was, and one thing and another, um, that's up for debate. But the the aesthetic between 1973 and 1983 is completely different. Whereas if, and then even if you look at the difference between 1983 and 1993, again, different sort of aesthetic, not massively different in comparison to the the 70s and like the 60s and things. But then if you look at 2003, it was a very sort of oversized wash denim, all that sort of stuff. But if you look at the difference between 2013 and 2023, whilst there are some subtle differences, I think clothing's almost become like a monoculture where you're allowed to just wear certain things. Yeah, young people, thank goodness, still wear different and interesting things, but it maybe it's I'm slightly skewed on it because kids now are referencing what are in their parents' wardrobes, which is stuff from the 90s. So I'm looking at this seeing the 90s come back round again, but with not really the subtle tweaks that there were perhaps in how the 90s played with the 60s or how the 2000s played with the 70s. But that's just clothes for you. I think um, people like buying the same stuff. People don't like taking risks as much because of things like Instagram where you've got like a permanent record of like the horrible outfits that you wore. <laughs> Maybe that's what it is, you know, the, the woeful outfits that you wore in like the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, whatever, they will be in a photo album stored away for only, you know, when you get a new prospective partner in your life to be like, oh, look at this ridiculous outfit that he wore. Um, but that doesn't really happen now. Everything's got to be perfectly 
manicured and look absolutely beautiful all the time because of the type of world that we live in. But again, that's a different podcast for people that are far more intelligent than I to, to talk about. But clothes now, I think we are lucky that we're so educated on various different things. I think it's amazing that you can go on like a blog that will tell you everything you need to know about the differences between different types of red line salvage denim from like the like 1900s through to present day and stuff. I think that's absolutely amazing. But I, I do think maybe we have too much information and I don't think we process the correct information. I'm guilty of it as well with with hype culture uh, to a degree with Tricky, but just as a consumer, like if LeBron James tells me to buy a pair of shoes, I'm going to buy that pair of shoes. Or like if somebody who I admire says, oh, you need to be buying tan acorn brogues from trickers you don't need to be getting them from grenson i'll be like oh great because you know we have digital friends now we don't have people in the pub saying those trousers that you wear are ridiculous you should be wearing levi's or those trousers are ridiculous you should be wearing Ironheart or edwin or whatever you know like um it's just a different a different way of processing information but i do think because there's so much stuff all the time it almost hampers creativity a little bit. And that's a shame. Um, and I do think people are more resistant to change. And I think when people don't have as much money as well, um, and this, you know, I'm paraphrasing from the the Patagonia book, I don't think when, when times are hard, people don't take risks as much because they just want the navy blue sweater because that'll go with all their other clothes. They don't want the orange one because it's like, ooh, when am I going to wear an orange sweater? And that's just, you know, that's just how things have been probably What for what feels like, you know, not getting too political, but that's what it feels like for the last 13 years and maybe even more than that. And I think clothes are a real reflection of how we feel as a society. I think for a lot of people, it's an identity, not everybody, but for, you know, a lot of people, the clothes are their identity. And the idea that we are now getting a bit bored of the way that we look because things are so similar, maybe will inspire the fact that we'll all start wearing peacock suits or something again, or going back to like the 50s with zoot suits. Who knows? But at the minute, there's too many companies making too much money by selling the same stuff that um, I can't really see it changing much in the next sort of like five to six years. But I might be, I hope I'm completely wrong and you can bring me back on the show in a decade's time. You're like, you were talking absolute tripe. But if I was a betting man, I think that's probably the way that I would go. Odd thing is that I actually totally agree with you in that everyone's making the same stuff. But I don't know if it's the fact that they are making the same stuff or that I've just reached a certain age where I'm just seeing stuff that has been before and probably just blanking out the weird stuff I can't understand. Yeah, well, to be honest, I want to be in a position, I've, I've promised myself that I'm always going to be in a position where I'm not going to be like my dad saying, you know, if you don't understand certain types of music, for example, you don't just go, that's just noise. I'm not listening to it. I've always sort of promised myself that I'll try and um, read more into it and understand why it exists and stuff. And, you know, that's why I'm a proud Billie Eilish and Bad Bunny fan, because, you know, they're great pop music stars and I don't care who comes at me for that. But um, that that that's important. There's this. I think what one of the best things about age is, I you know, harking back to my father here. But one thing, one really good thing about about age is that you can be the guy that then goes, oh, that new hip hop track that you're listening to, Ian. This is actually a 
a sample from the OJs in the 70s. You know, I, I think that that's a good thing that you can sort of pinpoint and like direct people and be like, well, we've done this before, but look at how we could improve it. That's that's one of the better things about age. But yeah, I, there are there's still some stuff that I look at now and I think that's cool, but like that's not for me. And I think maybe that's the best way to approach it because like I don't understand why people like Crocs. You know, go for it. I don't, I, you know, it's, if you want to wear them and I understand my sister's a nurse, so like I understand from a practical point of view why she'd like them, but why I see people actually going out the house wearing them. I see them because I have a friend called Diana who lives in Germany. Her grandmother would make you wear cl- uh, clogs <laughs> as if uh, would make you wear crocs when you walked into the house because obviously you don't want to wear your dirty shoes so i just associate them with, with old german ladies so i, I just can't, can't really get it out of my brain but like you know there's absolutely amazing designers you know doing their interpretation of of crocs you know inflated form and stuff and my brain just cannot cannot get it you know that's just something that i'm happy to hold my hand up and say i don't get it it's not for me i'm not going to be like you're disgusting wearing plastic shoes like that that's you know it's not for me to comment on but yeah fair play to crocs you've done a really good job of convincing the planet that they're worthwhile wearing so you know good for you but you know that you haven't got a consumer here that's what how about we go with that that's a nice way of saying i'm just looping back to your dad saying that do you realise the samples on this new hip-hop track are really from that? That's a surefire way to really destroy something for, for the young folks. <laughs> they think yeah. they're so cutting edge. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite... I always quite liked it, though, and if anything, I have more of an appreciation for soul music from the, from the 70s because of how influential that was. And I don't think, you know, modern hip-hop really... And this isn't a conversation about hip hop; it's a bigger general thing. But um, I think modern hip hop doesn't realize, maybe to a lot of people, doesn't feel um, as warm or as textural as it did back in the day because kids are using um, just pure electronic stuff. Whereas at least the samples of the hip hop that I adore was done by musicians that were actually playing instruments live, whereas now we can put that all in digitally, which is maybe a reflection on creativity more as a whole with clothes in in that you can stay in your house and somebody can send you a fabrics watch if you're lucky, or you just send a design off to a factory in some you know part wherever and say, yeah, you just pick the fabric. Yeah, I just want it to look like this. It lands, you approve it, and you make it. And that, you know... Uh, soul is such a, a silly word to use in anything, but I do sort of feel that creativity is a bit of a reset because creativity for me is linked to people, and we're sort of cutting out a lot, a, a big chunk of the personal interaction in that. Whether that's you know people that are amazing at selling clothes in shops, or whether that's people that are amazing at designing fabrics, or people that can create patterns for clothes, or you know, whole all these different people, and you know, I'm I'm fairly sure that artificial intelligence and all that's a really good a good tool for us to use. It's just how we interact that and the human experience of it. So I wait to see how I'm going to reserve judgment on where we are as regards um, making stuff cooler, not cooler creativity, because hopefully this is going to be a golden era, but we'll see. I think given that artificial intelligence, everything it knows, it's learned from what's gone before, might not be the best to come up with new ideas. 
<laughs> yeah, I do sort of have this discussion quite regularly with pals and people that work in the industry. Whilst it's really great for writing terms and conditions for a website, and I imagine if that's what you specialise in in law or if you're a translator or whatever, um, you know, you might be seeking new employment or whatever. But I do think using it as an aid to create videos and stuff. Whilst it's really funny when you see these videos of people doing like German-inspired Harry Potter videos. Like it's really funny. Like I watch them and I think that's really right. funny and amazing. But it's only pulling on stuff that it knows exists. Whereas using it solely to create stuff. As I know a lot of people will be doing and writing copy for their websites and stuff like that. I'm not necessarily sure that's a good thing. And if people don't get bored of that quickly, then I'm 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 probably just gonna declare that I'm gonna sell up and go and live in a shed in the outer Hebrides or something. I have seen some pretty cool AI generated clothes photos that I mean there was some of the Pope in a puffer massive puffer jacket or yeah. something like that. I mean some of that was kind of cool, but I mean just like much of the clothes industry that doesn't actually innovate much from year to year. Well, yeah was it's, based on what has gone before. Well even my photographer they um and like I get emails from them and they'll be like, oh, I've just put this through AI. And they, they can take a flat image that they've taken and put it on a, a model. And it sort of looks better than the pictures that I take a Luca, which in some ways is good. Uh, but in other ways, it's a bit like, oh, what are we doing? But like I said, probably a different conversation for a, for a different time. But that wouldn't be authentically tricky, though, because no. Luca, you're going to have to mention a bit more about him. He is a an essential part of what you do. Yeah, I think Luca um, was a really important part of taking us from being a weird little clothing company from Accrington to being like a recognisable thing. He probably won't ever appreciate this because he's a very modest kind of guy. But uh, he's a good-looking fella. He works hard and he looks the part. And he... He's, he's an ice cream man from Blackpool, to give you some con context. He works, he owns rather the um, world famous, I'm going to say that, world famous Notriani's ice cream parlor in Blackpool. Uh, and I've met, I've known him for a long, long time now, but I just said to him, do you fancy just wearing this t-shirt once? Because I just need it to drape on somebody just so I can judge it. He put this t-shirt on and I was like instantly in love. I was like, if people don't get what I'm trying to achieve with clothes on you, then they're certainly not going to get it with like me wearing them or like one of my mates from Aki. Uh, and he looks absolutely amazing. And luckily, I think people understand, especially with the Italian references that I have within Trickett and Luca's family being Italian, um, it just looks great. He looks great in the clothes uh, and it's sort of the aesthetic really that, that I'm looking for, just somebody that's reasonably confident, reasonably uh, modest, but ultimately looks better in my clothes than they don't, if that makes any sense. I think it also provides an excellent continuity in what you're doing. Yeah. Because you can yeah. see from year to year, yep, there's Luca back again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it is really nice, actually. I quite like the idea that um, it'll just be Luca going forward. I quite like the idea that, you know, he'll get older, uh, he'll get more wrinkle lines. Obviously, he'll, he'll never change his body shape. Um, but the idea that, he, he will just be there for people to be like, all right, he's a size medium, I need to change this. Or like, you know, if his body type does change and he turns into like, you know, size smaller, double XL or whatever, we can say, this is Luca, this is what he wears. I think that's quite nice rather than the type of websites that you go on and like there's a, 
a stick insect model who's apparently wearing a size large, who's a 36 inch chest and you're like, no, no, that gives me no help whatsoever. But, you know, one thing I must say is that um, end clothing, they do a really good job of the size charts. That's one thing I will say. They're, uh, they're industry leading, I would say, personally. Size charts, I mean, they shouldn't be that hard to make, but often so well, so poorly. How many websites have you gone on, though, where they don't list anything? Japanese sites are really good, actually. Like, um, That's one of the first places I saw a really good size chart and thought, all right, I'm going to do that for Tricket. But size charts, you'll go on a website and massive brands are the worst where they'll just give you a general one. An overcoat fits different to a T-shirt and a yeah. T-shirt fits different to a sweatshirt. But, you know, if you're a large, this will fit uh, between a size 14 or 42-inch chest. And then you'll get it. And, like, I'm usually an extra large in tricket stuff. But in iron height stuff, I'm like a quad <laughs> XL sometimes. Or um, in certain American brands, I'm a medium. So it means nothing unless you've got that physical measurement. But, you know. Heaven forbid people buying your clothes and your products. That would be that would be too much to ask, wouldn't it? And then if brands were even consistent in their own sizing, mm. so that, I mean, take a brand like Engineered Garments, where their sizing isn't even consistent. Yeah, it's not even consistent within the production run sometimes. Like sometimes their large will be bigger than their extra large. But I guess that maybe I'm sticking up for me, but I think that's part of the charm. I quite like the fact that Engineered Garments, you never know what you're going to get. I think it's quite nice. It makes it really hard, though, if you can't actually try it on before you buy it. And again, this is retail um, in the world, I think, would be really lovely for a resurgence. I can't see it, and I would love a shop for Tricket, but it's a more, far more optimistic person than myself that um, sees that retail is going to come back. Uh, but, you know, I read, uh, I can't, God, I can't remember the fella's name who sent it to me. Um, the book from the guy who works, used to work for Hype Beast. Um, oh, Alex Leach. On. That's the one. He uh, sent a it's really good... on the pod? Yeah. Oh, I mean, well, see, that's just the influence that you have. <laughs> but, um, he sent um, an email out, I think it was last week, about returns and uh, how H&M and other people are charging for returns now, which I personally think is pretty reasonable but um he was saying about how much damage that does to the planet and various other things and whilst i, I agree with it what, what choice do other normal people have you know if you don't have an h&m near you you don't have x shop that you're really into near you what choice do you have you know you if you want it you love that brand you want to support them or even if you don't love the brand you just need a new pair of trousers or whatever most i understand most people might want to buy a large and an extra large to try on and be like, oh, that's the one that I want and send the other one back, which isn't a good way of doing things. But, you know, the way that the industry has changed in the last 10 years to an online model, I don't really know what normal people are meant to do, really. You might even order them both and send them both back because you realise that that fit doesn't even work for you at all. Yeah, absolutely. Or it just was not what you thought it would be. So uh, Online stuff is often very seductive and mm. also very selective in what is highlighted. So... I mean, once someone and their AI companion have been working on the text there, it can be quite rosy and uh, you're seduced into spending your money. Yeah, of course. Like that's the, that's the way that it is. I think that's, that's one of the sad things about not having shops is I think, uh, and this probably comes from somebody who worked in a phone shop for a little bit, but we'll, we'll scoot over that, that there is an art to sales and getting people in the right stuff. I don't believe in sales being 
sell any old crap to anybody and and make them buy it. I don't think that's fair to anybody. I don't think it does anybody any any good. But the art of knowing when to say, well, that doesn't quite work for you. But if you look at this, this would be right for you. And I think that's something that clothing's missing. And maybe that you know arches back to the fact we were talking about soul and stuff earlier. But I think the interaction with people and clothes and feeling great when you're in a uh, a changing room and then that being confirmed by whoever you're with whether that's a friend or partner or parent or whatever and you feel like oh yeah I feel great that's a real art form that is being lost because you have to make those decisions yourself you're not being guided by somebody physically there like you can have the best people in the world and I pride trick it on the fact that wherever you are you can ask us a question about anything and I'll get back to you but as great as that hand holding, as it were, uh, is sometimes it's just great to be in a shop and understand a little bit more like what type of music they like, what type of art they like, what type of people shop there, what type of people are employed there. And that just gives you a real feeling for feeling great about your purchase and being involved. But if you can replicate that online, and I think we do an okay job with Tricket, um, great, but I still think shops are a super important part of a local economy, but also clothing more generally, which is something that is being forgotten quite quickly. I'm a big retail guy, always will be. Yeah, you were mentioning recently on one of your social medias, I think, how Accrington um, City Centre was um, becoming a bit of a ghost town. Yeah. Um, again, I think we, in the last maybe 20 years, maybe that's a bit too far back, but um, the last 20 years, it's been a race to the bottom uh, for everybody. Um, so whilst I think there is definitely a place on the high street for charity shops and second-hand shops, that they aren't going to bring the type of consistent money that's needed to make a place flourish and for shops to then reinvest into the town and into the people and employing more people. And Accrington's done that. It had a race to the bottom. It got to the finish line and thought, all right, there's nowhere to turn back now. And that's what's happened with the place. And that's what's happening with a lot of places, these former mill towns. like Even Manchester, like I have a lot of time for Manchester. And there's some really good independent stuff happening. But it's not amazing. It's not. The food side of what Manchester does is absolutely amazing. Probably some of the best culinary sites in the northwest maybe even the north maybe even the whole of the uk are in manchester at the minute which is amazing but independent like clothing retail for both for, for everybody it's it's awful like you know r.i.p to oipoloi but you know they were one of the last few sort of places that you consider going but you know there's river and hyde in manchester that are pretty good and the only other really amazing shops for where you can go and get something different at the skate shops, which skate shops serve a different type of customer, but, you know, always largely friendly people. But I just think if Manchester isn't, doesn't have the wherewithal to really change things and change perceptions and it's quite an affluent place, what all does places like Manchester, sorry, places like Accrington, Blackburn, Burnley, Darwin, all these places in the in Lancashire, I don't really know what chance they have of changing unless the perceptions change, which, again, going back to what I was saying earlier, is hopefully something that we can do with this new project in Accrington to change the perception and the pride in the place because I think the retail offering is the thing that makes a place interesting. 
you know, been to Woodbridge and places like that in the, in the south of England. It's amazing. Like they have all these tiny little shops and like a violin shop and stuff like that. I felt like I was in a Jane Austen novel. Like I've never, you know, I, I'm aware of instrument shops and we used to have an amazing place in Accrington called the Music Box, but that's long gone. You know, there, there just isn't that quality specific retail because a probably people don't want it but b it's just so expensive to to do it and to do it right which is what i would require of us if we were going to do it it has to be right and there just isn't the support for it which is a real shame because i think retail gives a place its identity Hmm. so i mean you're entirely online and very online in in every channel possible all the time. Uh, I mean, do you have any sort of idea who your typical customer is? When I first sort of started, I had an idea of who I wanted my customer to be, and it was largely me, uh, just <laughs> in various different formats across across the world. But um, I have different pockets of people. Like, if you can believe this, which I, you know, I, if you'd have told me this three, four years ago, I wouldn't have believed you. But there are teenage girls that love cricket. It's a tiny pocket. There's about maybe like 60 of them, but they will be the first online and buying stuff. If you think you're quick online, there's these there's this group, and sometimes it's mostly their parents that are buying it for them, but sometimes like they'll be old enough to have their own debit card and stuff like that. But you would not believe it. You can just tell from the email addresses that they're not people, they're not middle-aged men, they're not like uh, sort of younger women or anything like that. These are like teenage kids that are mad for it. And they're in a very specific pocket of uh, the UK, which obviously for <laughs> debt protection reasons, I definitely can't say. But it's weird. Like I, I, I've never quite understood that myself, but they will be the first like 20 orders of a release at 7 p.m. or 12 p.m. They will be there. They're like, they'll guaranteed there will be the people. But for the most part, I think it's fair to say that it's fellas that, were maybe at their prime, I think that's a nice way of saying it, at their prime between the mid-80s to mid-2000s and now love well-made stuff. They can afford to buy something a bit better and appreciate a quality that they can't get with um, Italian, well, Italian uh, sportswear brands that they probably like to British sportswear brands or British brands that were cool in the casual era. And they appreciate that, the indie brands are doing something completely different um, with a more of an onus on quality and story, which I think is is really important in a in an era where you can't st- touch things. To have people almost tell you uh, a bedtime story about the product you're buying is a really important thing, and I think people appreciate that. But, yeah, we, we've got people that, that purely just buy the coffee, just come to Trick It to Buy a Pasolacqua coffee, uh, which, I'll, you know, which is amazing, like being a... Um, Green grocer wasn't necessarily something that I, I anticipated, but but here we are. There's people that just buy our Shackaway t-shirts, which come from America, which uh, we are the only place in the in Europe, I think, actually, maybe, yeah, maybe that stock them. So there's just people that buy the plain white t-shirts, and that's it. And then you've got people that that buy one of everything. Uh, we've got two or three absolutely amazing customers that buy one of everything and they're all quite local weirdly whereas the the more general support uh from people in like lancashire is almost quite minimal in its own way um but our best customers 
are from here, whereas the the bulk of what we make comes from well outside the northwest of England. So figure that out. Don't know. Can't answer that. We're going to follow up on that, but I'm going to have to loop back to the teenage girls for a moment. <laughs> I am really curious about are there specific things they are after? And does this also mean that there is a tricket corner of TikTok, maybe a sort of trick talk? Well, I, I, so I've gone searching for this and my friend, Joel, who's my, one of my oldest friends, he said, uh, he's a big YouTube guy, like watching it and stuff. I, it's not really for me, but he's really into it. And he said, one of the guys that he follows was doing a podcast with somebody who was wearing a tricket sweatshirt and she was from America. And he was like, do you know this person? I was like, I have no idea what you're talking about. So he sent me a link and I, I watched this link and I was like, I'm surprised you, A, you knew it was a tricket sweatshirt, but it was a, a very specific one. It was a Halloween edition one that we didn't do many of. It was black with a black tricket logo on it. So you had to sort of really be into it. And I was like, all oh, right, that's pretty cool. Didn't really think anything of it. And then um, about two weeks later, I think we released a sweatshirt. I can't remember which one it was. But it, anyway, it was some sweatshirt. And they just went and completely unexpectedly. Like our stuff, we're really lucky that there's, there's a, a hype cult element to it. We're really lucky with that. And the sweatshirts are particularly good that we make. Like That's sort of one thing that I will hang my hat on, as it were, that we make amazing sweatshirts. That's what, what our bread and butter, as it were. But these sweatshirts just went, and they were they were to people that I'd never heard of. Like, my father has a real almost rain man ability to remember names for when we're sticking labels on stuff and sticking them to the post office. And he was looking at these labels, and he was like, I have no idea who any of these people are. These people have never ordered stuff before. And we're writing the cards for them as we do for every order. And I was just thinking where has this come from? And then, so we tracked it back using a bit of Google analytics and a bit of a, like a pie in the sky stuff. And it came from this one podcast. And I think people were thought that trick it was like this new up and coming version of like, you know, I don't know, like represent or whatever the ne- the cool brand is at the minute. And um, yeah, there's, it's sort of, it, don't get me wrong. It's not carried on completely to those mad uh, scales that this was on but it, there's still you know a good core of people who are using the mum and dad's credit or debit card to buy tricket stuff um and yeah you know this this uh, friend of mine is a lecturer at university and he's seen two or three different people young people wearing tricket which to me is just mad but straight you know we, we open our doors to everybody i don't try to alienate anybody from from what we what we're doing but equally as its own tone its own voice which i thought uh, appealed to a very specific type of person but clearly i know nothing <laughs> do you feel validated at all no <laughs> no um i still feel every day that i wake up that uh, I'm the luckiest person in the world to do what I do. Uh, and I don't take it for granted. I'm not really looking for like validation off anybody as regards um, getting awards or slaps on the back or being on hype beast or, you know, cool guys knowing who I am. The best thing that can happen is when um, I get an email of someone's mum and they say, oh, I got this for my son and my daughter and they absolutely love it. They were really looking forward to getting it for their birthday or Christmas or just a general gift or whatever and they absolutely love it 
that's great. And that to me is, is amazing because that person has no idea what trick it is. They don't understand the, the logistics of what we're doing, but they understand that that product's made somebody happy. And I think that's all I'm really here to do. I'm like an Accrington version of Father Christmas. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. Yeah. It's odd you should mention you're a lucky guy because I, I, this is something I keep saying to my wife that you just seem to have the best job in the world. <laughs> not, yeah. not because you're stuck in the back room putting things in parcels all day, but when you go off on your little trips. Yeah. Yeah. We're, I, I still have to pinch myself a little bit because I think of myself as, I still think of myself as like a 10 year old wearing a Newcastle United home shirt, thinking why are the grown ups actually listening to me? It still feels a bit, a bit surreal that way, but um, getting to go and speak to amazing people uh, who make great products, who are really passionate about what they do and get to talk to them on a on a on a level where they consider me an equal is still something that I'll never really get over. I'm very I'm very lucky that way. But when when you do travel around like this, I mean, you've obviously done your research so you know where you're going. Have you spoken to them beforehand or you just roll up and knock on the door? It's very much a half and half thing. Um, in Napoli, because I, I have a friend out there, Joe, who does a lot of stuff for me. Um, Italy, but in particular, Napoli is very, the production side of clothing is very hidden. And it's not done on purpose. It's just that they're so busy. They don't bother with like advertising and stuff. But my friend Joe would just be walking down a street and there'll be a guy making gloves in a window and he'll knock on the door and be like, do you make gloves? And they'll be like, yeah, I make gloves. And then, you know, a dialogue starts. And then equally, I was in Elgin maybe two years ago and we were driving past um, a factory. I had no idea what it was. And it just said this name on the front of it and this old sign. And I was like, ah, it's probably long gone now. And they'd just forgotten to tear down the sign. And it's literally next door to Johnston's of Elgin. So huge, massive company, but there's this tiny little shed. And I thought, ah, oh, well, what's the worst that can happen? So I went in clutching a pair of Trickett socks to try and soften the blow of like some northern bloke kicking down your door going, what are you, what are you doing in here? So <laughs> I walked through the front door and I said to this uh, fellow, I was like, do you make cloth? And he was like, yeah it's like i run a clothing company will you make me some fabric and he was like uh yeah what do you want and i was like kids okay, explain what i wanted and he was like i've been doing this for 40 years and this has never happened in my entire life and then we've been best of friends ever since but the look on his face when i was like clutching this pair of socks and say here have some socks let's talk about uh, fabric it was just a bit like what is going on here so <laughs> A lot of, I, to be fair, when I was younger, I would never have done that. I'm painfully shy in in, in social situations. I'm a little bit better now, but um, the idea of just wandering into someone's place of work and being like, make some stuff for me, uh, was is, is somewhat of an alien one. Whereas uh, nowadays, I do do stuff like that. But you're right. A lot of this stuff, um, you are aware that it exists, so you try and drop emails to people, speak to them on the phone, and sort of have a vague plot of where you're going to whether if you wanted to go to you know quite up far north in the of scotland and seeing people at campbell's of bewley our mutual friend john uh and you know seeing all the the weavers around there or if you go across to aberdeenshire where they make jumpers or you know go through the cam goings to mainly look at really beautiful hotels and stuff that's what that's what i do and then, then go and drive a bit further and stay in a travel lodge and um, yeah that's what that's that's one of the best things about it getting to go out traveling and like whilst i appreciate people get to travel with work 
a lot of the time you go there, you do what you need to do and your company's that keen to get you back. Uh, you end up just being on the next flight home, whereas we get to sort of sit and enjoy things and drive around and speak to people, go out for lunch, do fun stuff like that. And that's probably my absolute favourite part of of making things. Other than when um, a box arrives of, of stuff and my dad opens it and he takes it out of the box and goes, oh, it looks like a professional's done that. That's Those two things are equally <laughs> as good as each other. So, yeah, maybe the only validation I need from my dad, but maybe that's a bigger conversation. But, um, yeah, that is quite a good feeling when we've done uh, some sample trainers, which may or may not see the, the light of day in a with a factory in Portugal. And he put them on. And the first thing he said was, oh, these are actually wearable. So um, that's that's about the level that if people, if my dad likes it, generally speaking, uh, everyone else will. So. It sounds like he doesn't give compliments easily. No, no, he's, he uh, doesn't throw those out like uh, like toffees. No, he, uh, he you, you have to impress him, even though like he probably himself admit that he's probably one of the people that cares the least about clothing in the entire world, but I'm managing just slowly. To... Yeah, he knows what he likes. He knows that's a nice way of saying it. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And recently you've been getting into Tweed as well. Yeah, well, Tweed, weirdly, was a huge part of the first collection of Tricket. Originally, I thought that I was going to have to be one of those brands that was um, did collections and sold them to mm-hmm. department stores and stuff like that. I thought that was... And then just have a little online shop to sell bits and pieces. Um, but that soon changed. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's only so many rejection letters that you can get. I actually, that's a weird story. I had some stuff made, like samples. I had about 10 samples of things. They were largely awful. But um, I was in London, and a friend of a friend of a friend, this was in the early days of Twitter, had taken a picture with a guy who worked for Beams, and he was the uh, head buyer at Beams. And I was like, how does this guy know this guy from Beams? So I took like a suitcase of stuff to go and see this guy from Beams, whose English was absolutely amazing, to be fair. And um, I think the only thing that stopped me being stocked in Beams with the first ever collection was the fact that Beams didn't want to pay for the shipping and I didn't want to pay for the shipping. So that sort of just died. Otherwise, I'd have been in big, I could have been big in Japan, but alas... I'm just my pretty medium-sized in Accrington. So. That would have been an entirely different story, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that would have been a that would have been a bit surreal, really, if I'm honest. But anyway, back to Tweed. Um, yeah, Tweed's been a huge part of what I've done. Um, I think I was really influenced by uh, late two thousands obsession with Tweed and Harris Tweed in particular, and I loved the idea of making my own um, red magazines like inventory magazine and weird Japanese ones that were talking about how important tweed was and how hardy it was. And I just became obsessed is probably an understatement. I just had to know everything that I needed to know about it because of how British it was and how much part of our heritage it was. I read these really weird uh, books about it. I have a Johnson's of Elgin book about um, estate tweed, which was published a long time ago. It's a beautiful book, but a bit hard going. It's it, the, the images of the tweeds are amazing, but you know, I'm not necessarily sure that I need to know about the formation of the company and right. how well, you know, what type of looms were used and stuff like that, which you know is largely interesting, but um I just want to look at cloth. Um so I've been I've been messing around with tweed for quite a long time, and I, I'll be quite honest with you, I've done different parts of 
things to do with tweed over the years, but it never gets the reception that I'm hoping because I think people associate it with a, a certain political persuasion or uh, a lifestyle persuasion maybe, but tweed's for everybody. It's the original camouflage and it's the original working man's cloth, but um, it's been appropriated by some somewhat undesirable characters, but you've got to overlook that sometimes because the cloth will outlive us all. So, yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah, I see what you're getting at there. Um, I think there's a lot of potential for, I don't know, come up with the working name of sort of new tweed or a different tweed, just taking it back. Because, I mean, I don't shoot pheasants or uh, right wing or anything like that. So, I mean, just yeah. sort of thinking, thinking new. Yeah, it should be reappropriated because it isn't it isn't a cloth that you can just go shooting pheasants in. Like, you know, I don't want to shoot a pheasant. I think they're beautiful creatures. I don't want to go shooting anything. Like, I'm I'm pretty happy with that. But I think if people understood just how much of a to quote my friend Yupender who makes my clothing for me, who we did a video about, um, he says it's a it's a very British animal, and he's absolutely correct. The way that we weave it, the way that we finish it, the way that we sell it, the way that we make clothes out of it and other accessories, it's uniquely British. I'm always hesitant to use quintessentially British because um, I think that's an overused. Um, set of words but i do think it is it's really a very british cloth represents what what the temperature's like here in that it's harsh and if you're going to be crawling through rocks and on mud and you know on a day like today when it's not particularly nice you want something that's hardy you want something that lasts ages you want something that keeps you warm but also allows the air to flow through it. It's the original Gore-Tex in my eyes. But again, because it's been appropriated by certain types of people, it doesn't get a look in, whereas it's just so much more elegant. The drape of it's so much more beautiful than, you know, plastic fibres, certainly. But even like cotton, being from East Lancashire, obviously cotton can do no harm. But a cotton, a cotton jacket in comparison to a you know, a woolen, whether it's a light wool, heavy wool, whatever, the drape of that is just, is just beautiful. And that I would always encourage people because that, that trend's not really going away of like the workwear jacket or whatever. I would always encourage people to go for a, either a lighter wool jacket or a, a heavier wool style jacket like that rather than cotton because it's just cotton washes out so quickly and it just looks a bit meh. And whilst looking like a French labourer from the 1970s and 60s is a, is a cool look, I just think there's just something more elegant and British about wearing something that's got um, wool fibre in it. I just think it looks really beautiful. Because we are kind of at a crossroads now where we have a massive surplus of wool and we're also going to have to stop using all the plastics and synthetics and the oil-based stuff. So, yeah. I mean, there should really be a massive comeback for wool cloth. Well, what's re I find really interesting, I'll give you a very a couple of short stories, but the wool during, during 2020, I redeveloped Tricket HQ and I was going to buy some... Um, sheeting uh, king span it's called which is like insulation for between the exterior wall and the interior wall so i'm, I'm thinking right i'm going to buy that and then a friend who works at the uh, british wool board or whatever we call it nowadays he said um we've got all these fleeces that we're just not going to sell to anybody because the factories aren't open. Can you do anything with them? So I sent him an email back. I was like, weirdly enough, I'm just about to spend like 400 quid on insulation. 
could this could uh, sheep's wool do the job? And he was like, I don't know. So he put, he put a load of it in the back of his. Um, he had a, a pickup truck van thing in this Land Rover Defender that had been converted. So he brings it all over, drops it off outside uh, Tricket HQ, and I was like, oh, let's give it a go. And honestly, it is the warmest thing that you could ever imagine. Like in summer, it is deathly hot. I'll be quite honest with you. I might. I am considering opening a sauna. It's that warm. But in winter, it is absolutely brilliant. Like just insulates everything, lets the air circulate. Absolutely brilliant. So that you know, you could use wool in different ways going forward. But weirdly, I we've been making wool hats, and sometimes you have to put a bit of acrylic in with wool hats because fiber like alpaca needs the support you know the guy who makes my hats for me says that they need the mental support otherwise you're just going to rip them apart which i always quite like but well uh, alpaca needs some some guidance but anyway there's always a place for it there's you know people that say that we should eradicate all plastics that's not it's not practicable right you know kettles need to be made out of plastic there's all kinds of different things anyway we'll get on to that's a different thing but a guy the other day sent me a message on twitter and he said, uh, your hats that you've been making out of wool for like 12 years, I don't like them. They make my head itch. Um, you should start using acrylic again. And we've never used acrylic to make hats, you know, on, on, a, on a big scale before. And I think that that's that might be the problem for a lot of people that they're so used to. And I don't mean this in a horrible way to that person that asked that question, but people are so used to crap and the fact that they know that if you wear a wool hat, it might itch a bit if you're a baldy like me. It'll itch for a little bit. But once you, the lanolin activates and your the you know waxes and oils off your head interact with that, um, you know, it won't itch anymore. But that's just education and people just want instant, right, I put this on my head, I'm warm. They don't want the sort of breaking in period of like two days or going to one football match and wearing it or whatever. So I don't know, it's... We are at a bit of a crossroads. I completely agree with you, but I just don't think wool's sexy, and it should be because it's really good. And all the people that make, you know, if you go, if you went to your local shop that sells clothes like on a biggish scale, they'll all be acrylic nonsense, won't they? They won't even have like, they won't even. A lot of places don't even pay the lip service of like, oh, it's a wool scarf but with three percent wool or something like that, or a recycled wool or whatever. Most places don't even do that now, do they? They're just interested in wholly acrylic scarves, which is you know, mental, isn't it, really, if you think about it? Like, I don't want to wear a plastic bottle around my neck particularly. I want something that I can recognise as, wow, British wool, amazing. That's, yeah, but, it's that's not just even necessarily the fact that it's been a plastic bottle, but it's also that it just doesn't work as well. <laughs> Yeah, it stinks. Like that's one thing that I love about uh, British wool or wool more generally is that you know you can wear it for ages and it doesn't smell where it shouldn't do if it's if it's good stuff. Whereas like acrylic stuff, like acrylic bobolats, you put that on your head, a couple of days later it stinks. And that's not because I have like a particularly smelly head or anything. It's just that it does it, it absorbs all those smells. Like you know, if you go somewhere with people are smoking or you've gone somewhere with a frying chips, or whatever, it'll just stay in that fiber. And it doesn't matter if you boil wash it, it'll still just stink. And that's you know, that's never cool, is it? Yeah, it wouldn't be great putting on your favorite hat in the morning and it stinks of chip fat and fags. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> that's a shitty start to the day. A very specific aesthetic, that one, isn't it, to be fair? <laughs> yeah. uh, recently, I mean, back again to the tweed thing, 
we'll keep coming back to that. I mean, I think last year you did a special tweed with the Sam Goats, yeah. Raven in the Bone, another yeah, podcast is, friend. Obviously, people that are listening to this probably can't see it, uh, but I'm wearing uh, some of her cloth right now, yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. Uh, how, how did you come across Sam? That's probably going back to weird stories. Um, I was aware that she made absolutely amazing cloth, but I didn't know where she was. And weirdly, I was in, actually, I was in Bewley, um, at Campbell's of Bewley. And I was just looking on Twitter and I thought, there's somebody around here that makes like cloth in the traditional way. There must be. I'd never seen like her name or anything. And then Woven in the Bone came up and I was like, oh, I wonder where she is. So I sent her a text and I said, um, whereabouts are you? She said, oh, we're in Bucky. And I just put that in the sat nav and didn't really think anything about it. It was like, right, I'm on my way. And it was like an hour and a bit, like it was miles away. Like, But it's in, I don't know if you, have you, have you been to see it? I haven't been to Bucky. Oh. But it's a shed oh. in the harbour of a very small place, I think. Sometimes like I think people... Um, undersell things and they're like oh well you know being very modest and stuff like that but it is literally just a shed that you can see the you can see the boats coming in and out of it's absolutely beautiful it's it's like the ideal place to make anything it's absolutely amazing but even then it was like summer and it was cold in the shed lovely outdoors but in there it was cold so like when you see her on her instagram and she's making uh, tweed cloth and she's got gloves and nine jumpers on like I know even in summer how cold that is so I don't know how she does it but yeah she is in a lovely way she's one of those amazing eccentrics that this country produces so well she doesn't have to do that she's an incredibly uh, talented designer of cloth she's an incredibly talented person just in general one of the most practical people you could ever meet i can't speak highly enough of it but she chooses to make cloth on ancient machines that's absolutely beautiful but she doesn't need to do that she's incredibly talented but she does it because there's a sense of almost like duty that if we don't take care of this kind of industry that it won't exist anymore. And the fact that she has all these followers and people that, you know, from people that make patchwork quilts all the way through to t- Savile Row tailors who are passionate about what she makes only shows that there is still a, a really wide range of people that are interested in making cloth in this country still. So you nipped by there almost randomly, got inspired. What did you make of it? Uh I, I think, yeah, I just think what what I, th- I was just sort of blown away about that it was just her. I think she said her sister sometimes works there. I might have mis I might have misrepresented it there, but I remember going in there thinking this is unlike anything I've ever seen before. I, I'm really lucky that I get to go to loads of different factories, and one of my favourite ones is a, a weaving mill uh, in uh, on the Scottish borders where. Um, a guy that works there, there's two of them that own the mill and they're both 80 and they're both still making cloth, which is amazing. But Sam's a completely different thing because it's just her with all these contraptions. It almost felt like going in my grandfather's shed and there's just like, it's not by no means is there just stuff everywhere. It's completely organized, but you're just like, I have no idea what any of this does because everything's done on power looms now that, that I work with. So the fact that there's people hand wheeling stuff and be seen sat on a, on a uh, like a bicycle uh, seat with pedals, like they're making on Harris, 
was just amazing. So I was like, I've got to make something. So a lot of the time when there's, you're working with super creative people and super talented people, you just sort of hand over the reins a bit. I'm not going to be one of those that's like, oh, it's got to measure this by this by this. I was just like, Sam, this is what I do. Go and see what you can, what can you make? And she made this absolutely beautiful cloth that is still one of my favourite things that we've ever made for Trickit. That is a one of one for me in that it was an overshirt that was made by um, a brand that I love called Luca Abitabile, who is from surprisingly from Naples, uh, and it's made from that cloth. And I remember him picking it up and going, "This is one of the most beautiful cloths I've ever." Um, used and he works with people like Laura Piana and stuff like that. Oh. So it must be it High must price. be High, the highest, the highest, yeah. Yeah. And you brought back tweed this year but from a different source. Yeah, we're custom making our own tweeds. I thought now was the time. Um it's been a labor of love. Um we're working with three or four independent mills who are commission weavers rather than making a, a whole block of stuff that you can just order from whether it's from stock or whatever we're making our own tweeds which in hindsight probably wasn't the best way of doing things but it is the most authentic to us we're making cloths that you can't get anywhere else and we're making them out of wools that you can't get anywhere else and i'm super proud of it um usually the things that i love the most don't sell the best uh as history has taught me but i think this is such a, a beautiful project that we've worked on and the in particular the herringbone wool that we've worked on feels like cashmere i don't know how what they've done in the finishing but yeah it's it's now is the time really i think people want something that's different they want something that's going to last a long time they want something that's not going to be in or out of fashion and that's what we've done with these jackets the the mehra jacket uh, is named after your who makes the jackets for us and he's more of a tweed enthusiast than, than anyone that i've ever known he, there's, he's forgotten more than i know about and than i know about tweed so he's making them for us and i'm super excited for the new collar shape that we've put on these jackets and there's two sausage roll holders in there because obviously it's winter you need more food so this one sausage roll holder on each side you can put two phones in there or a sausage roll and a phone whatever you want to do but yeah it's, it's, it's authentically us this feels a lot more like what we sort of set out doing when we started and that's sort of something that i'm really proud of for what we've achieved this time round, because i feel as if we're going back to the roots and the things that we started with rather than a lot of companies just producing the same stuff over and over and over again i always want people to feel like they're on their toes we want we want you to be like, oh man, I didn't see that coming. Like we make Japanese prayer stools. Like people want to are like, wow, I didn't see that coming. Or if we make, you know, some amazing polo shirt with a tailor in Naples, that's what that's the best thing about what we do. I want to keep people being like, oh amazing, didn't see that coming. And I hope that we do that um, with everything that we're producing in the future because we work with such amazing people and we want to tell amazing stories and we want people to buy things that they cherish rather than just, I need a new jacket, I will buy one. I want it to be like, oh, yeah, I got this in 2023 when, um, you know, I was looking for a jacket. I didn't want to spend loads of money on it, but some lad from Accrington managed to convince me to spend all this money on this amazing jacket and I've had it ever since and I adore it. So that's the that's the essence of what we're going for this winter. You totally preempted where I was going to go with my next <laughs> <laughs> question. Sorry. Sorry. Um, because um, I was thinking about this buy better, buy once, uh, buy less uh, idea that we really all should be subscribing to. 
And I think you're probably the only guy I can come up with who has taken that to heart and made something of it in a really bold move as well, because I think a lot of your customers are probably guys who buy lots of jackets. You have, you're trying to sell or you are selling to them the last jacket you ever need. Mm. Can we get into that? Of course. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a lot of people that, that pay lip service or um, speak a lot about sustainability, um, greenwashing and stuff like that. I'm not going to get into that because you know, that's just marketing to me. Actions often speak louder than words. And I want to create stuff that people really cherish and you have to think about to buy. Um, I want to create products that people love. I want to create things that when they finish using them, they give them to charity or they sell them at whatever vintage place that you sell these things. Although I much prefer second hand, firstly, as a term. I think vintage yeah. is an overly used. Uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, I want to create something that when it goes into that charity shop or it gets sold again, somebody picks it up and they're like, why did they give this away? That's the that's the sort of thing that we're trying to do. Even with the jeans that we're making uh, in Leicester, I've purposely put a thing on the inside pocket that says, welcome to your jeans or welcome to getting your secondhand pair of jeans or, you know, if this is the first time wearing them or whether this has passed through like, you know, 40 pairs of legs before they've got to you. I think we should be doing everything we can to future-proof things because making quality stuff, it's, it should be honourable. Like I look at... The buildings in Accrington, like the Accrington Library is one of my favourite buildings in the entire world. And it hasn't changed one bit and stuff hasn't fallen off it. And that's been with the absolute minimal amount of effort from people from the local council to look after it. And that's what I want to do with Trickit, that oh, in 200 years when people are looking at the things that I've made, I want them to be like, oh, you know, they we did all right. That's that's that should be the thing that we're doing. We shouldn't be looking to create products that go that break after three years, like you know, with phones and technology and like even kettles, ovens, things like that. No matter how little or how much you use them, they're just designed to break. And that should be it. You should be ashamed of yourselves. Like money is important and everything, but I think legacy is more important. And me creating products that last a long time. Fiscally, that's probably not the most sensible decision that you could make. Like I've made backpacks that uh, a few customers have said, I'd love to buy a new one, but I can't because this one's still in such good nick. And that's great. You know, like I, I couldn't I couldn't be more proud of that. And if that's the hill on which I die, I'm pretty, I'm pretty happy with that. And selling people the right things at the right point for a good price so that and I, this is something that we use in everything that we do in Tricky that everybody nobody wins unless everybody wins and if the all the way from the people that supply the buttons all the way through to the postman that delivers your parcel if we're all not making a fair share then no one's making a fair share so i don't go out of my way to overprice things and i don't go out of my way to underprice things i'm trying my best so that to reflect and reward the people that have bought that have sorry that have manufactured the product to the point where you purchase it that everybody has been treated fairly whether that's people in portugal that make my sweatshirts whether it's people in america that i make sure that allow their um factory workers to form unions with all the way through to people that make in this country that I make sure that we inspect them. And that isn't just like a tick box exercise. It's like going around meeting people. And you can be sure that when you buy something from us, that it's been vetted 
it's a really good product and it's been made to the best of our ability. It's not just like every sort of year we release, we improved our jacket. A lot of the stuff I can't improve, uh, either from a technical point or from a manufacturing point of view. We, we can't make it better, so we don't make it better. We don't make loads of stuff because I don't want the people that buy something at full price to then feel a bit miffed that, you know, I convinced them that spending £200 on a jacket was a good thing to then, you know, six weeks later have the same jacket, but I'm not speaking enthusiastically about it anymore because it's, oh, well, I'm not interested in that because it's, you know, it's in the sale now. I'll always be really interested in it because I always want to make the best thing that I possibly can do. And I want people to buy it and, and, and love it. And I know I keep sort of almost repeating myself, but that's the important thing. I want to make stuff that endures the test of time. And I think I'm on the right path and doing things with a bit more of a conscious of being the, the tree hugger that my mum raised me to be. I think is important because I, you know you don't need loads of clothes. You need load. You need like a few really good things. That's what you need. Uh, you don't need loads and loads of of, of like t shirts with prints on and stuff. Don't get me wrong, I love a, a graphic t shirt, but you don't need loads of them. You just need to be buying a few things that you love, you can cherish. And you know, if you wear them and wipe them out, that's fine. I'll be here in 10 years waiting to sell you that same jacket again. But just make sure that you absolutely destroy it because that's what clothes are meant to be enjoyed and destroyed and used, in my opinion. So, according to Ian Trickett, how do you make the last jacket you ever need? Um, All, full details. Full details, right. Well, well, I think, as with everything, because I'm obsessed with it, has to be an amazing cloth. Um, I think a natural fibre drapes better, it looks better. And don't get me wrong, it's amazing to have these jackets that are waterproof, windproof, and weigh like four grams or whatever. That, you know, super cool. But it's not really helping anybody, I don't think. Something like the Defender jacket that we've made, um, like if I take the cashmere one, for example, that's actually made from a dead stock cloth that was um, made for a well-known department store in the UK that cancelled their order as they do because it wouldn't arrive on time. Uh, that's a completely different conversation for a different time. I'm not <laughs> mentioning who it is, but they were very, 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 very big uh, at one point and now aren't quite the giants that they were. Um they cancelled this order for this fabric and it's been stood around apparently since the mid 80s and i thought i'm having a bit of that i think that's absolutely amazing and it was it's 100 percent cashmere and it's got loft to it absolutely gorgeous so i i get extra green points because i'm not actually making anything there i'm uh, i'm using dead stock fabrics and you can't always do that but in this particular instance i could do so that's great You're actually taking uh, care of waste <laughs> Yeah, call me the bin man of, uh, of clothing. I'm, I'm quite happy with that. Um, so then after that, we managed to find another dead stock cloth, which was um, a quilted fabric that was being made for live jackets in the 80s. Um, that was, again, dead stock from, I think, from the 90s. I think they'd, uh, they overproduced it. Uh, because they were going to get another order, but they didn't. So that, I think, if you can use a quilt uh, to keep you warm and you can use an outer to keep you dry, and then you can use a, a membrane that's actually made out of um, a mixture of cotton and wax, which goes between the two things, That which is a very specific fabric which the SAS used to use. They don't use it anymore for keeping them dry. Uh, if you can mix all those three things together, you've got yourself warm, dry, windproof, and it looks absolutely amazing. I, 
from a stylistic point of view, I've always been drawn to shoot coats. I think guys that wear those, they've, they've always looked super cool. These massive jackets that can just keep you warm and you can wear a t-shirt or a shirt underneath with. I just think that's just so much more elegant than piling on layers. Like there's still guys that look amazing in, in stuff like that, but I'm very much of the opinion that having one jacket that does everything is the best way to be. I don't particularly like hoods on jackets. I always find them a bit intrusive, really. I think they wreck the overall aesthetic of it. That's why our Defender doesn't have a coat. You never really use the hood. It looks cool, but you don't use it. Yeah, I feel like that with hoodies, like because I'm bold, I don't really I don't really use it on the hoodies. I think it looks great around your neck and gives a bit of definition to it, but I don't really use the hood on hoodies either. So for the for the for the defender coat, it just made sense not to do it. But equally I wanted something that could wrap around your neck when you don't have a scarf on or something. So I did that, made sure it was a nice big chunky collar, uh, loads of pockets that you could never use, fleece lined, uh, hand warmer pockets, bellows pockets at the bottom. There's no need for this particular piece that I put on it, but the uh, pocket flaps on the bellows pockets at the bottom can be held up for for practical purposes, which was then you could get your shotgun pellet put into your shotgun and shoot. Whereas I think you could use that when you're watching football to put your pie into or you coat your mug of coffee or something to keep it nice and warm. So that's why I lined it in, um, in Cordura so that you could then just wipe it out if you did spill anything. So then... That makes the coat, you know, I want it to be just below hip length um, because short jackets are never for me because I've got a long torso. So all my design inspiration comes through, uh, would I wear it? That's always the that's always the, the barometer by which I design things. So I've got a long body and short legs, so I made sure that it was nice and long for people to wear. And it's just a really nice, beautiful fit that I think is timeless. You can wear something underneath it if you need to. You can wear it. With just a t-shirt underneath, you can wear it with tailoring, you can wear it with a tracksuit, and it'd still just look absolutely amazing. So, yeah, I'm proud of it. <laughs> Are your customers lapping it up? Surprisingly, yeah. I thought that this was something that was very specific to me because we've done one in a, a green tweed and we've done one in the, in the cashmere. And I sort of thought, and they're at two slightly different price points, but they're still both, you know, pretty hefty uh, price tags on them. Not for the quality, they're, they're not. But for normal people that are approaching buying a new winter coat, they might be like, wow, that's expensive. But these jackets, I don't think, I've barely sold one in the UK. They've just gone everywhere else. Um, two guys in Australia bought them. A few have gone to America. A few have gone to Japan. Uh, so yeah, it's it's great. But weirdly, somebody from Accrington bought one uh, last week. So figure uh, that out. And a load of teenage girls. And <laughs> apparently, <laughs> yeah, no, they, they didn't do so well to the, to my younger clients. But uh, yeah, to to people that came to me, like it's really weird. These these pe- international clients that I have have been tricky customers for years. So I think they're lapping up the fact that um, it's a return to tweed. Maybe that's what it is. So. Yes, yeah. where it's at, you know. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm pre- preaching to the converted a little bit here, aren't I? But do you, do you think it's the fact that people over the years feel they know you? I mean, they sort of established a, a relationship. You know, I, I don't really spend much time thinking about that because I don't really put my face on the internet particularly. Um, but I'm a, I'm a pr- approachable person. I always really wanted a brand like Tricket that would tell me where I, where the whole how the whole process happened and what you need to do to make a clothing company and um 
I wanted to be able to get in touch with the guy that made the decisions about how things were made. The closest that ever got to it was a, an amazing street. I say amazing a lot. I've just noticed that, but uh, a very good clothing uh, streetwear company called The Hundreds, which was um, Bobby Hundreds, the guy who still runs it now with Ben. Um, he would answer every question, every email, absolutely everything. And I thought that that was the best thing in the world. And they got much bigger very quickly to the point where he couldn't do that anymore. And to me, that lost some of the magic. And I wouldn't want to think that there's an Ian Trickett watching Trickett thinking, oh, well, when he stops answering the questions, I'm not interested in it anymore. So I'll do everything I can to answer questions, whether it's like direct messages, emails and stuff, because um, once people stop talking about you or stop trying to interact with you, that's when the wheels start coming off a little bit. But I'm really lucky that, you know, people think that I'm even worth chatting to. So the fact that people want to keep buying stuff off Tricket based purely on the fact that they can interact with me is a little terrifying, admittedly, but really nice. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a lucky position where people actually think that my opinion is of any value whatsoever. So if I can help them make a decision about which jacket to buy or even where to like buy jeans from that isn't stuff that we do, I'm, I'm always here to help. It's uh, Clothes are a passion of mine. Um, yeah, I mean, if I was looking for T-shirts, who should I talk to then? Uh, trick it, but they sell out really quick. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I that's probably, I could write a book about how much I've been looking for the perfect white T-shirt. And that means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Like, I love Merch Bichuan and I love what they do, but it's it's very specific and it's very austere and it's very oh, it comes in this little little brown packet and it's you know you've got to buy it uh, from select partners and stuff like that which is cool like but equally the t-shirts that for some reason are sold exclusively in los angeles uh, through shaka wear uh or pro club and i think there's another one called five stars i can't remember which isn't anything to do with the political party um they sell these absolutely amazing t-shirts that a high neck, you know, if you bought a Shackleway t-shirt, you know what I'm describing, but they're heavy fabric, high neck, wide sleeves, slightly longer in the body. And for some reason, um, they only sell those in Los Angeles. And I think they're among some of the best t-shirts in the world, but then you've got loop wheeled t-shirts made by all kinds of different brands, which for some reason have an amazing um, reputation, but they really twist when you wash them. I've spent far too much money on t-shirts and I sort of realized quite quickly that I needed to make my own uh, and that's what I did. So, yeah, the, the new Maniche T-shirt that's coming out is probably my finest work. It's not as heavy as the perfect T-shirt that I made, um, but it's a lot more drapey, easier to wear, and it doesn't feel like cardboard when you put it on after the first wash. So, And one of my favourite things that we've done this year is getting a Mexican guy out of retirement to come and make T-shirts in Los Angeles with a Carlos T-shirt. That's just one of them very weird, tricky stories that I'll forever cherish, that this bloke was literally tending to his garden and then thought, yeah, I'll go back to Los Angeles and make some T-shirts after I retired three years ago. Makes perfect sense. But maybe I have a way with words or something. It's How um, did you even hear about him? I'm really into military clothing, and I knew that the Mexican army made amazing T-shirts from, when was it? I think it was the late 60s they started making these T-shirts that were grey, Mexico written on them. And I thought, wow, 
I'd love to have one of those t-shirts. I found one. And then back in the day, people used to put phone numbers in things to like ring up and reorder and stuff. So I got one of these vintage t-shirts. My Spanish isn't good, but luckily the person on the end of the phone, the phone rang and I said, I'm looking for somebody to make these t-shirts for me because I wouldn't bother that you could make them in he could make them in Mexico, America, whatever. And this guy picked up the phone and he said, oh, yeah, we, we don't actually make in Mexico anymore. Um, we make them in Los Angeles. And the person that was in charge of that has actually retired. I said, oh, right, that's a shame. What's the name of the company? So give me the name of the company. I rang up this place in America. And this guy picks up the phone and he was like, yeah, uh, the guy who used to make them is retired now. I was like, can I have his number just to see if he'd come back? And he went, what? <laughs> Can you just give us his number and we'll see if we can get him to come back? He's like, he can, but he won't. So I rang him up and he was like, who is this? And I was like, my name's Ian Trickett. I'm from Accrington in Lancashire. I'm a really big fan of your work. Uh, you made these T-shirts for the Mexican Army and all this sort of stuff. And he was like, the fact that you've rang me up in my house, um, I need to go and see my, I think he said it is his aunt or his, I can't remember, like one of his wife's family or something. Going back to Los Angeles um, to see them. I'll pop in and I'll make this fabric for you. And then I'll teach one of the apprentices there how to make it. And then it just went wild from there. Um, I told people this story. They couldn't quite believe it, but it did happen. And uh, we made some T-shirts. And they are probably the most popular T-shirts that we've sold this year. They just, especially in the the cream colour that hasn't been bleached or touched in any way, which just so happens to look like, back to Luca, the ice cream that Luca makes, it just came full circle and was a a really perfect story and a, a really great way of selling a really ace product. So yeah, it's the the Carlos T-shirt is one of those weird things that happened in 2023 that I'm, I'm super proud of. <laughs> I had a fantastic example, as you said, of of when you have a proper story. Yeah, yeah, it really it really helps to to sell a product when you've got a really good story. I love a bedtime story with anything that I buy it, that, you know, whether it's the farmer that's made the sausages through to like where I've got my light switches from. If somebody can tell me a story, like I'm sold. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of white teas, do you have any good tips on keeping a white tea white? I use, uh, <laughs> this is ridiculous. I feel like people are going to be like, what is he on about? I, when I do a full whitewash of just plain white t-shirts uh, and then I use bicarbonate of soda, a little bit of vinegar, and just your general normal um, whatever detergent you use. And I always find that really works. Also, um, there's certain roll-on deodorants to avoid because if you put them on, they will just stain your T-shirts, even though you might have the best routine in the world for washing them that won't come out. Uh, so use a nice natural deodorant as well. It takes a couple of weeks for your body to get used to it, but... I promise it's life-changing because it won't, your sweat marks don't go in your T-shirts as much. This was actually a way more eco-friendly than I expected <laughs> from you. Yeah, yeah. It's, I'm, I'm not, I wasn't even doing that on purpose either. Um, they, is, the old ways are the best ways. My grandmother taught me hundreds of different ways to keep things clean because obviously their generation of people actually valued clothing and looking after it and stuff. So if you got a red wine stain on a, t a white T-shirt, for most people, that would be the T-shirt in the bin where she was like, no, it might take five weeks, <laughs> but we will get that stain out of the, the T-shirt. So there's, you know, there's lots of different ways. Even like massive brands like Vanish, um, Ajax do a different one. They're all just 
chemically enhanced natural solutions. So the natural solutions are always the best ones anyway. Yeah. Be natural there. deodorant, change your life. I'm actually into that very much. <laughs> I mean, once you realise that aluminum you're putting under your armpits and stuff and... Yeah, yeah. yeah. Good. A nasty old thing, that. But, you know, we're sort of told that aerosols and uh, roll-on deodorants are the best way, but natural deodorants, yeah. Uh, my friend Joe introduced me to that, so big shout-out to him. Plus, I mean, you do need certain deodorants to attract females. Well, that's, I've been trying for too long for that sort of thing, so I'll just I'll say I'll bow to your superior knowledge on that. <laughs> it's interesting that the perfect white tea has become something of a talking point in the past year or so. I think it was uh, when the bear came out hmm. on yeah, whichever channel it was. Yeah, I, I always watch mine on Disney, so I don't know if that's. I a, think it but, was on Disney. Yeah. Um, I see. I, I've been obsessed with white t-shirts since the early 2000s maybe even a bit no probably even before that because rappers that i adored they all wore white t-shirts that was the thing that was the way to display how much money you had because you could wear that t-shirt then throw it away you don't need you're not going to wear a white t-shirt more than once and there would be those aforementioned shackle wear t-shirts or pro club um so i've been obsessed with trying to emulate those T-shirts and, you know, going to Matalan and Marks and Spencers or wherever, they aren't going to have the same T-shirts that Jay-Z did. And I was always thinking, why does my T-shirt not look like Jay-Z's T-shirt or Eminem or Snoop Dogg or Dr. Dre? So uh, it wasn't until quite a long time later I went to Los Angeles and discovered these T-shirts by Shackleware Pro Club and all them. And they fit right, they were loose, um, he came up higher on the neck and so I bought a lot of them thinking they were the best things in the world I and mean, they still are, I've still got ones from them at that point but it all comes from um, the Latino community in Southern California uh, workwear, wearing really fresh things that make you look um, appear even cleaner and wealthier than you actually are because you're wearing this bright white t-shirt that's cared for and that's just trickled down through society in various different various different ways but the white t-shirt to go which brings us neatly back to the the trick at uniform the, a plain t-shirt but in particular a plain white t-shirt is just so clean it's just so crisp and it just looks beautiful with whatever you're wearing whether you're wearing it under a suit whether you're wearing it with anything else the quest for the perfect t-shirt that goes with your lifestyle is one that probably never ends for a lot of people because there's so many on the market and there's so many brands that are based purely on we make white t-shirts and like so many i don't really know how to describe them but modern-ish brands that like tell you how much the thread costs and all that sort of carry on um loads of brands like that that make pretty inferior quality t-shirts but can tell you you know where everything came from which you know is, is pretty good but the quest for the perfect t-shirt goes on because i don't think you can ever capture it for some people it has a pocket on it i don't particularly think it needs a pocket on it for some people it needs a brand on it i don't think it needs a brand on it for some people it needs to be really heavy fabric i agree with that for some people it needs to be really light like there's some brands that like making the t-shirts out of the same stuff that I would consider what I would put tea leaves into to then make a cup of tea <laughs> with. Like, but you know, it's all preferences, isn't it? And all education. And when people send me messages saying, Oh, the necks on your t-shirt are too high. Like for me, if I could have one that literally just went under my earlobes, it was that high. <laughs> I'd be 
completely happy with that. But different strokes for different folks and all that, isn't it? Yeah, because I often see when people say, oh, Steve McQueen, he he wore it well, or the guy in the bear. And I'm thinking, mm. well, I mean, it does help a lot if you actually have a ripped body to start with. You don't know, those those gents were absolutely like some of the most beautiful men in the world, aren't they? Like, and they they have great physiques to wear it underneath, and the t-shirt, especially in this case of Steve McQueen and the Bear, they're designed primarily to be vests rather than outerwear t-shirts. So they sculpt and they sit on your body a lot nicer. Um, whereas most t-shirts that you went into your local shop to buy one, they would just be a t-shirt just just something just to slob about in and just to throw on whereas those types of t-shirts were came from a, an underwear point of view where they're meant to sit much more closely to the body rather than t-shirts that we wear now that are just like mm, they've got a logo on them and throw them on so yeah as you've said these guys have amazing bodies but they also look good because they're wearing sizes that may be a little bit too small for them because they want them to fit to their body because they're being used as a, a vest that they'll put underneath a, a sweatshirt shirt sweater or in you know james dean's case like a leather jacket or whatever i guess what once you're of a certain age without that super ripped body you want one that drapes well is thick enough so you're not yeah. nipply just you know because there's always a room for an extra pie isn't there when you get to a certain age that's what i would say that's probably the the episode title of this podcast <laughs> i'd be pretty happy with that um Okay, is there anything you'd like to mention sort of in closing? Uh, no, I appreciate you listening. Thanks for everybody that took any form of time out to, to listen to me prattle on about clothes. It's very kind of you. Uh, thanks to my mum and dad for uh, birthing me. Thanks to my sister for being a good nurse. And uh, thank you for Accrington for looking after me all these years. So that's that's how I'd, uh, that's probably an Oscar speech there for you. So I'll go with that. <laughs> Uh, okay thanks a lot Ian and um, bye bye for now and that was all for this week's Gomology if you hit subscribe or follow you can automatically download next week's episode as soon as it's published if you do listen on Apple Podcasts I'd appreciate a um, review or rating if you listen on Spotify you can also leave a rating if you'd like to get in touch, my email is welldressedad at gmail.com or welldressedad on Instagram. And uh, you can find all the links and details, etc. in the show notes. Oh, and including a link to the Patreon. Sorry, I had to include that. Okay, catch you again next week. Bye-bye for now. <laughs>